What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 14 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Before we get into the two hottest teams in the NBA, the Dallas Mavericks and the Cleveland Cavaliers, I want to give hope. I want to give some hope to some of the NBA bottom feeders, like the Oklahoma City Thunder, Houston Rockets, the Orlando Magic, and the Detroit Pistons. The reason that I want to do that is because this NBA draft class, at least the top tier of it, looks absolutely stacked. And I want to highlight three players because this class looks like it has a potential three number one overall draft pick talents. Very similar like this past one in 2021 with Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, as well as Kate Cunningham. And the first one I want to hype up is Jabari Smith. I don't know if you guys are big college fans, but Jabari Smith has been on another level. He was a top prospect coming in, coming into Auburn, playing for Bruce Pearl. He has a dynamic play style. He's 6'10", athletic as all hell, 225, and he has proven that he is a shooter. He's shooting 43% from three. He's killing it off the dribble, got a very tight handle for his size, and he's doing great catch and shoot. He's shooting 46% of threes off catch and shoot. He's averaging 16 points, six boards, and showing incredible defensive versatility, averaging over a steal and a block per game. Playing in the SEC, you have to be extremely physical, and especially playing for a coach like Bruce Pearl. He expects a lot out of his players to play the full court system that he likes to do and just overall intensity. And that's paid off extremely. Going to Jabari as the number one, he kind of got off into a little bit of a slow start in the season, get his transition going. But since that, he is pushing it. They are the number one team in the nation, like I said. And Jamari Smith is the current favorite for the number one pick in the draft. And if you're a team looking for through-the-roof athleticism, he's going to fit the perfect modern power forward position at 225. He can do anything. He can stretch the floor, he can get in the paint, and he can score off the dribble. I would love him to go to a team potentially like the Oklahoma City Thunder, pair with a dynamic young backcourt like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, as well as Josh Giddy. And I think incorporating Jabari into that would be a trio to build off of and give Oklahoma City, hopefully, a future big three that they can be really proud of. The next one is probably the biggest project of the three, Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren is a high school superstar that everyone's heard of, what everyone probably saw him crossing up Steph Curry with the around the back in his own camp. Chet decided to go to Gonzaga. I'm not really a big fan of that choice because I just feel like if you're going to be one of the top prospects, you want to play against top competition, and it's going to help you grow in the long run. Playing in the West Coast Conference is going to hurt you. I just think in your personal development, we've seen it for players like Jalen Green. I'm sorry, Jalen Suggs this year. And I think for Chet, he is just not physically ready for the NBA. He's seven foot, but he's only 190 pounds. And you compare his body to like an Alexander Pokushevsky of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he just looks extremely overmatched physically. Uh, he is a defensive force blocking shots. He is fouling a crap ton. He's averaging over four fouls per game, but three and a half blocks per game. And he's shooting 60% from the floor and 38% from the field. He is doing anything he wants on the offensive end. He is a pure unicorn of the game. He has played his entire life throughout his high school career thinking and playing like a guard. Bringing the ball up, passing, creating offense from the perimeter. And overall, if he hits on his potential, he may have the highest ceiling of any player in this draft. Because of just of the overall versatility, you're not going to be able to see a player like him very often. And... He is a better offensive game than Evan Mobley does because Evan Mobley can you know, really command the paint and was able to throw his body around and you know, have 25 pounds on him, even though Evan Mobley is extremely skinny as he is. Chet Holmgren can do a lot to build into his body. And if you see a team like the Detroit Pistons, 
who have Cade Cunningham, who have a physical body who can match up with him as the four and let them grow together, I think that would be something that the Detroit Pistons can be proud of for a long time. And holy hell, would I love to watch Cade Cunningham and Chet Holmgren pair together in the future. That's an offensive juggernaut if they both hit their potentials. The third one of this trio is, in my opinion, the most NBA-ready, and that's Paolo Banchero of Duke. He is a grown-ass man. Six foot ten, 250 pounds at 18 years old. That is absolutely disgusting. He is overpowering the competition, averaging 18 points, eight boards, and showing off a little bit of secondary playmaking. He's playing a lot more in the perimeter than I expected. I kind of assumed he was going to play that, that Zion role and just going right into the paint, throwing his body around, and kind of just being able to do whatever he wanted. But he's expanding his range. He's shooting a lot more threes than I thought, and that expands his game tremendously. He's only shooting about 30% from three on about three attempts per game. But that shows a lot of signs of growth for a player that clearly has the NBA in mind with where he's trying to play. And Coach K in his last season is letting him grow and letting him play in that role. Um, he can easily overpower you in the pick and pop, easily overpower you in the pick and roll, and he's breaking you down off the dribble. His handle does need to improve a little bit, but I am very impressed by the ability to average three assists per game and kind of play off a player like Wendell Moore, who has been their lead guard so far this season, and it's exciting. I mean, I'm a UNC fan, so I'm not really a big Duke guy, but I'm going to give Powell a lot of credit. I just love what he's being able to do and, and has that forward thinking. You see a lot of these younger players kind of get lost in the moment and you know think right now that, oh yeah, I can just dominate down low and really be that kind of player and focus on that. But he's thinking long-term by being able to stretch into this modern game, focus on his three-point shooting. And while it may not fall now, in two to three years down the line, he could be at you know, 35, 36% three-point shooter at the NBA level. And that's going to open up his game almost like a super hyped up John Collins. And that is a scary sight because John Collins at his peak can be a 20 and 10 player, but then add 30 more pounds to John Collins. That's very, very intimidating. I would love to see Paolo Banchero in Houston pairing up with that dynamic backcourt of Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. That would be an offensive juggernaut running in transition alley-oop. That would be a showstopper, very similar to how it is in Charlotte. That's an NBA TV league pass must have if that happens. So in all fairness, I'm super excited. I love talking about the young players that are up and coming. And those three have the chance to all go number one, depending on how the lottery balls fall, because it's just going to have to be NBA fit, honestly, depending on where your team needs. A lot of these teams do go for talent over, you know, fit. But I do see that all three of these have number one potential. And we're going to see how the lottery balls fall. The Dallas Mavericks have themselves an offseason by switching from Rick Carlisle to Jason Kidd. That move strictly said, we are going to focus on Luka and Luka Doncic only. And I love that. I love that they were able to do that. They bring in Tim Hardaway Jr. again on an $18 million AAV. They, for some reason, bring in Reggie Bullock on a three-year $30 million deal. They bring in players like Frank Kitalina. And they really wanted to focus on defense. Defense first, defense first, and putting Kristaps in a position to play more of the four, as well as bringing in guys like Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleber back out of the five. I didn't necessarily understand that. I didn't necessarily agree with that because I think Kristaps at seven foot three and where he's meant to be needs to be at the five to truly maximize this lineup. And in the beginning of the season, that's what it looked like. They were off to a rough start. They were in the play-in tournament for their seeding. And then a switch hit. Something happened. And that something was focusing a lot more on Kristaps Porzingis. And I never really thought that I would say that. 
But Christoph Porzingis has been a massive X factor for this team. In the last 13 games, they are 11-2. and two. And in that time, they have the number one defense, which has actually led them to a top five defense in the entire NBA. This team was an incredibly efficient offense last year through Rick Carlisle, and they were a top three offense and a bottom five defense. Now you're flipping the switch, you're bringing in Jason Kidd, and he is putting a huge emphasis on defense. And I really like what he's been able to do by putting Chris Ops in a position to be more of the help defender versus that baseline defense. And is that where I think it could work long-term? I'm not necessarily too sure, but Jason Kidd has hit all the right buttons recently, and a lot of it has to do with playing Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleber as essentially split minutes at the center position and focusing more on Chris Ops. What that also does is gives Luka a lot of the opportunity to pressure less on the defensive end because he has a massive workload on the offensive end. For a guy that's averaging 26, 9, and 9, he is averaging a lot of turnovers at almost 4.5 per game, but that comes with having the second highest usage rating in the league behind a guy by the name of Nikola Jokic. A huge point of emphasis for this team is balance. And they really haven't found that yet. They're trying to balance in between being an offensive team or being a defensive team. Yes, you want to have an identity. Yes, you want to be a defensive stalwart or an offensive dynamo. But the Dallas Mavericks have to find that sweet spot. And I really like Dwight Powell. I think what he's able to do by being almost like an Anderson Varajov type defender. He takes a lot of charges. He boxes out effectively as well as just balances the floor. He's not a great shooter, but that's where you bring in a guy like Maxi Kleber to focus more on the offensive end. Tim Hardaway Jr. is not having a good year shooting. Reggie Bullock is not having a good year shooting. Christos Porzingis is not having a good year shooting. And the fact that they're all over here being in the position that they're in is fantastic. They're 27-20, and 20 and they're fifth in the West. That puts them in the top tier because they are three games above the sixth seed. For what the Dallas Mavericks have done, all they need to do is start hitting open shots. If Luka can be a little bit more efficiently of what he's able to do, I think it is going to open up a lot for this team. And I really do think it needs to get a little bit out of his hands. Jalen Brunson has been a massive X-factor for this team in the regular season. And I talked a lot of shit about Jalen Brunson because, to me, he's just a role player. He's just a guy that's going to be your backup point guard, give you 20, 25 minutes, and he has shut me the hell up. He is over here being arguably one of the most efficient point guards in the league. He has a 3-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio, averaging just under 6 assists and averaging 1.5 turnovers per game. Being there, shooting 50% from the field, while not being an effective three-point shooter, he's only shooting 33% from three, but he, at his size, he's a very stocky point guard. He reminds me a little bit of Chauncey Billups, just without the jump shot. He is just stocky. He can take you in the post. He has an incredible mid-range, and he's not afraid to go down low in the paint. And I think that works so well with Luka. He just needs to get a little bit more of the reins on offense. And I think you're going to see them play a lot better team basketball. Because a big three, which I didn't really think was going to be a big three of Kristaps, Jalen Brunson, and Luka, have incredible chemistry. They have a top 10 plus-minus rating as a trio. That's Pretty wild when you think about the names that are there, when you think of iconic big threes like the Nets big three, the Bucks big three, even the Heat big three of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, as well as Kyle Lowry. The Mavs are in that top 10. And if they can play that and their role players play a role effectively, if Tim Hardaway, is who is currently shooting 31% from three, can get that number up to the 37-38 range, if Maxi Kleber can, can continue to shoot at an effective rate of 37%, 
Kristaps shooting 29% from three. If he ups that just a little bit, this offense is going to shoot the lights out. And you're going to see an offensive rating go from in the bottom 10 to potentially in the top 10. And that opens up a lot of doors. What I really like right now, based on their seeding, is the matchup. When you're thinking about playoffs right now, matchups are massive, especially for the first round, because that can set you up tremendously for the future. You saw how that was for the Suns last year, how they just rode all the chips that were falling, being able to beat teams like the Lakers in the first round and ride it all the way to the sunset. Right now, the Mavericks are matched up against the Utah Jazz. I think that is terrifying for the Utah Jazz because if Kristaps is hitting open shots, he is the X factor in a playoff series against the Utah Jazz because that forces Rudy Gobert away from the paint. If they start a front court of Luka, Maxi Kleber, and Kristaps Porzingis, all three of those are three-point shooters, and that forces Rudy Gobert out of the paint. That is exactly what you need. You're taking a page out of the Los Angeles Clippers playbook and that is exactly what you need to do. Stretch him out. Force the ball. You can let Donovan Mitchell go off for 40 every game. It does not matter because they don't have the offensive firepower to go with you. Jordan Clarkson's not going to drop 25 a game. Mike Connolly's getting too old. You can't rely on Bojan Badanovich, who's been in trade rumors all around. Danny Age is trying to trade him so badly and trying to bring in a player like Marcus Smart. But it doesn't necessarily matter. This team can beat the Utah Jazz and work his way into a potential second-round matchup against the Phoenix Suns. That'd be a hell of a matchup. Jason Kidd, I don't want to say he needs to be in Coach of the Year conversations, but if he somehow ends up with the top-four seed with this roster, yes, he does have Luka Doncic. I do understand that. Obviously, he's an incredible talent and an eventual MVP winner, not candidate. Winner, that's the kind of talent this man is. Jason Kidd has proven a lot of people wrong. He had a very big reputation of having an ego in Milwaukee, even had an ego in New York with playing with the Nets. He kind of has taken a step back. He really has not done a lot of press conferences. He's staying a lot of the media, and he's just letting his guys ball. He's focusing a lot more on guys like Chris Osprezingis, like guys like Jalen Brunson. And I think that by doing that, it's letting Luka say, hey, it's not all about me, and hopefully Luka can step into that kind of team mentality because the the team runs through Luka and no one's questioning that at all. But efficiency wise, LeBron has always been able to play an efficient game and has always fed through his teammates. It hasn't always been about him. He's all about making the right basketball play. Luka takes a lot of his game from James Harden. He takes the second most step back jumpers in the league. And until he kind of settles that down and can really focus on his basketball IQ and focus on his quality shot making and shot taking, I think if he can do that and continue to level up his game, you're going to see the Dallas Mavericks be a juggernaut force for the long haul. Luka's extension kicks in next year, so their money is going to be very, very tight. They'll be able to re-sign Jalen Brunson because they have his bird rights. They already have Tim Hardaway Jr., but they're going to need to hit on a couple draft picks, and unfortunately, they have not been really that good at hitting on draft picks, but that's how you're going to find cheap, effective talent, and they have their first-round picks for the next three years, so I'm excited to see how they're going to build around this team around Luka because if Kristaps, Luka, and Jalen can continue to be that big three to build off of, and if they find effective role players, this team is going to be a force in the Western Conference. And watch out because Luka is an MVP. There isn't enough to say about how effective this Cleveland Cavaliers team has been so far in the NBA season. With fighting through injuries, fighting through COVID protocols, and fighting through just all the hell that the Eastern Conference has to go through with how top-heavy it is, 
the Cleveland Cavaliers have come out swinging and they are winning basketball games. Currently fifth in the East, they are 29 and 19. In their last 10 games, they are 8 and 2. Since Ricky Rubio went down, there is just one player that you have to focus on, and his name is future All Star Darius Garland. He has stepped up and has taken the challenge from JB Biggerstaff and run this team so incredibly well. He is averaging 21 points, 11 assists, and he is the engine that makes this team go. His shooter numbers have been down because he has been focusing a lot on playmaking and he is forcing a little bit of the issue, but that's going to come. He's only 21 years old. Tomorrow's his birthday. Shout out Darius Carlin. But it's just exciting. It's exciting to see the growth of this team. When you lose two very, very good guards, two season-ending injuries in Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio, not a lot of teams can come back from that. But this is a next-man-up mentality. They are the underdog mentality in Cleveland, and it is so fun to watch. Isaac Okoro deserves a lot of credit. He unfortunately, as a top five pick, you expect a star level. You expect a you know future, you know, even if he's not an all-star, you're expecting that next tier down of a player that can really step up into that role and be just a guy that you can build around. And Isaac Okoro is kind of being that, but he reminds me so much of Tony Allen. Isaac Okoro, his jump shot just has not fallen. He's shooting just under 30% from three. And it kind of looks like he's starting to add a hitch to his jump shot. He's getting not as confident, but he is an athletic freak. He is the third best ranked perimeter defender in the NBA behind Matisse Thibel and Mikhail Bridges, according to NBA Analytics and defensive PER. Those are elite, all NBA defenders. And he's the perfect player to be next to Darius Garland. Because when Darius starts to understand his efficiency role, and when you start to see Evan Mobley step into himself, when you see Larry Markin start to hit shots, you don't need five players who can create offense. If Isaac is just in there to shoot decent from three, but lock down the best perimeter player, that's going to get the most out of Darius Garland. And that's an incredible thing to have. Plus, you have three seven-footers. What NBA team in their right mind in, 20, in the 2020 era, in the modern day small ball era, says, fuck it. Let's start three seven footers and just see what happens. Well, we're seeing it. While obviously I think we all can agree that Larry Markin is not the long term answer at small forward, he has been playing out of position all season and he has done it to the best of his ability. He is having to guard some of the best NBA wings. He's out there guarding Kevin Durant. He's out there switching on to James Harden. He's guarding guys like Chris Middleton. There's not a lot that he's doing. He's trying his best, but to be able to step into that role and just have that mentality of, I got to do what I got to do because we're here winning basketball games. And he has tremendous help behind him in the NBA's best twin towers, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. The entire defense runs through these two players. They're both top five in defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim. They're both top five in shots contested at the rim. And they are so interchangeable. And the difference between these two and Rudy Gobert, like I've said in the past, is that they do not get played off the court against anybody. If you want to go small ball, they will power you down low as well as switch onto you on the perimeter. Evan Mobley can literally guard one through five and lock you down at 19 years old. It is incredible to watch. But I think the biggest thing about this team is their depth. 
You've seen guys like Dean Wade step up during injuries. You've seen guys like Lamar Stevens. Chetty Osman has turned into a gunner averaging 11 points off the bench. And Kevin Love. There's legit conversation that Kevin Love should be in the sixth man race. He's averaging just under 13 points per game. He's averaging just over seven boards a game. And he's shooting over 40% from three. He's only averaging 23 minutes a game. J.B. Bakerstaff refuses to let him go over his minutes restrictions. He's playing effectively. He started a couple games a season when he had to. But in his best role, he's healthy. He has that hunger for the game. You see him cheering on the sidelines. You see him dapping up everybody, cheering them on on the bench, not pouting. That's a leader. He's been to the mountaintop. He said it before. Do you know how hard it has to be when you make four straight NBA Finals, the team just gets blown up, and you are legitimately on for the three years in a row, one of the worst teams in the NBA to just completely bottom out, but he grinds through it. No, he didn't have the best attitude. I'd be pissed off too. If I'm over here playing in the NBA Finals one year and literally the next year I'm I'm at the bottom of the standings. Screw that. I'd be pissed. So I understand that. I understand his frustration. To see a natural smile on his face, to see him be a positive force on such a young team, we need that, especially as Ricky Rubio has just gone down with a horrible ACL injury. You're going to see this team being very active at the trade deadline because I think they're going to buy in. I think I can see them potentially going for a guy like Karius Levert. I don't necessarily know what they're going to be willing to give up for him. Does that mean they move on from Larry Markkinen and kind of play Karius the three because they have such defensive potential behind him? I'm not too sure. I don't think they're going to trade anybody like Okoro. They're obviously not trading Garland, not trading Mobley, not trading Allen. So it's going to be tough to really dissect what a trade does look like. But we have all of our first-round picks. We have all of our second-round picks. We have a couple of extra draft picks that we picked up in trades. It's interesting. Cap space is going to be a massive factor. And I think looking at Colin Sexton, I think having conversations with his agent and seeing what that future contract extension does look like. Because he's heading into restricted free agency. He's coming off of a torn meniscus. So he's missing the entire year. Clearly, he's not going to get the bag that he expected. He turned down a five-year, $100 million offer this offseason. So clearly, he went to bet on himself, and unfortunately, it did fail. And the downside of it is that this team has proven that they can and will win without him. So if they can kind of look at him and say, hey, we'll offer you this Jordan Clarkson-type deal. We'll offer you a four-year, $64 million deal. You come off the bench. You give us $25, $26 million. He has an opportunity to really be an incredible sixth man. I think he can be a starter on a lot of teams, but if he really, truly wants to be in Cleveland, I think that he'll take that deal. I'm not too sure, and I think as Cleveland, you kind of have to run that risk of, you know, you can match anything. You can use him as a sign and trade. I mean, look at what Toronto did with Kyle Lowry. Also, what teams like um, New Orleans did with Lonzo Ball. I think it's tough. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what it looks like. But from a contender standpoint, this team is only one and a half games back from the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. If you were to say this team was going to be fighting for a number one seed this year, everybody in the basketball world would have called you absolutely insane. ESPN had them ranked number 30 in the future power rankings. They thought this team had zero future, zero direction, and was essentially bottomed out, ready for another lottery run. J.B. Bakerstaff and Kobe Allman 
has switched the entire culture and the entire mindset of this team. They both got extensions they deserve, and we have to tip our hats to the Cleveland Cavaliers because they are one of the hottest teams in the NBA, and no matter what is thrown in their face, they overcome adversity, and they are a matchup nightmare for any team in the first round or the second round with how they play on the defensive end. Offensively, it's going to be tough. It will be a grind, and a lot of that does come on Darius Garland's shoulders, but if he's ready, watch out because this could be a dark horse to make the Eastern Conference Finals. We're trying to build something special here at Courtside Views. We want to bring in a community of people that just want to talk about basketball, whether it's on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, we're here. Let us know what you guys think. If you want to hear something specific on the podcast, if you want to you know, just come on and try and be a guest, I'm here to talk shop with anybody. So let, it, let me know your feedback. Email me, anything that you can think of, we're here for it. That wraps it up for episode 14 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Boston.